You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Okay, class, take your seats. I said take your seats. Class, sit. I swear you're all acting like a bunch of animals. Pet Life Radio presents Teacher's Pet, where you'll learn how to understand and communicate with your pet and train them to be the best pet they can be. It's time to see the world from your pet's point of view. So give a tail-wagging welcome to your Teacher's Pet host on PetLifeRadio.com. You may even learn a few tricks yourself. Hi, welcome to Teacher's Pet on Pet Life Radio. This is Pia Silvani, Director of Training and Behavior at St. Hubert's Animal Welfare Center in Madison, New Jersey, and your host. I'd like to welcome a very special guest this week, Dr. Daniel Estep. Dr. Estep holds a doctorate in psychology with a specialization in animal behavior. He is certified by the Animal Behavior Society as an applied animal behaviorist. Dr. Estep is internationally respected as a teacher, researcher, and lecturer on animal behavior. He regularly consults with pet professionals, humane organizations, government agencies, attorneys, and many others about animal behavior. He and his wife, Dr. Suzanne Hetz, who you have heard from many times. If you haven't, please make sure you go back and listen to her interviews. They've written many books together, and they own Animal Behavior Associates, which is a pet behavior consulting firm in Littleton, Colorado. The firm provides professional animal consulting services to organizations, other pet professionals, and many others. Also, Dr. Estep was one of the six experts that evaluated the Michael Vick dogs, helping to save many of them. So today we're going to be talking to Dr. Estep about probably one of the most annoying behaviors in my book, and that's barking dogs. Not only this is annoying, but it can cause great problems if it is not properly diagnosed. Excessive barking affects not only the dog's quality of life, but it can also affect not only the owners, but the community as well. Dr. Estep, along with his wife, Dr. Hetz, has written a book called Help. I'm barking and I can't be quiet. I just love that name. So that's the topic for today. So before we meet Dr. Estep, let's take a short break to hear from our sponsors. Okay, class, grab your tuna flakes, biscuits, and bones. Teacher's Pet will be back in two shakes of a tail right after recess. Hey, ready to take a walk? Not just you, but the whole family. It's the 2009 Whisker Walk, Sunday, June 7th from 11 to 3 at the Lancaster Fairground in Lancaster, Massachusetts. Pet owners and animal lovers walk to lend a paw to benefit the animal shelters and pet charities they love. Come see exhibits, demonstrations, educational programs, special attractions, product giveaways, entertainment, auctions, raffles, food, fun, and things for adults and kids to see, do, and buy, both human and pet related. Whisker Walk 2009, a fun day for everyone. For more information, log on to whiskerwalk.org. Coast to coast and around the world, it's All Behave with Arden Moore. Find out why cats and dogs do the things they do and get the latest buzz from wagging tongues and tails in Rin Tin Tinseltown. From famous pet experts and best-selling authors to television and movie stars, you'll get great tail-wagging pet tips and have a fur-flying fun time. All Behave with America's pet edutainer, Arden Moore. Every week on demand, this is the place for a special paparazzi treat. 
only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Okay, class, hang up your collars and leashes. Teacher's Pet is back in session. Now park yourselves on the floor. I said park, not bark. Okay, Teacher's Pet. Pay attention. There may be a quiz later. Welcome back. This is Pia Salvani, host of Teacher's Pet on Pet Life Radio. I'd like to welcome today's guest, Dr. Daniel Estep, who will be talking to us about barking dogs. Hi, Dan. How are you? Good morning, Pia. I'm just fine. Thank you. Good. How's the weather out there in Colorado? Well, we're lucky today. It's uh, sunny. It's going to get up into the 50s, so uh, we can't complain at all for Colorado. No, it's true. Fabulous. And do you have a lot of snow? There's still a little bit hanging on here and there around Denver. Obviously, a lot more snow up in the mountains. Right, right. Well, let's get started. I just have to tell you how much I enjoy the book, and I have been promoting it to everyone because it's 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 so thorough, and it's very, very unique. Barking, as we know, is a normal behavior in a way in which dogs communicate with others. And what I loved about this little book, and it's the perfect size, too, is uh, – that you got right into helping owners develop what you call a barking profile. And can you tell the audience what that exactly means? To resolve a barking problem, you really need to understand what's causing it because there can be different causes for for barking or other kinds of vocalization problems. And our barking profiles are simply a set of questions that we put together for people to answer to try to get at the cause of the barking itself. You need to be a good detective if you're going to try and figure out why your dog is causing the problem that he or she is doing. You've got to ask who, what, when, where, and how the barking occurs. And you need to actually see what the dog is actually doing and the sounds they're actually making because dogs can do more than just bark. They can howl, they can yelp, they can scream or whine or growl. And when they do these different behaviors, they may have different motivations for them. We need to also know what he looks like when he's doing the barking. Does he look threatening? Does he look like he's afraid? Does he just look excited or bored? Those kinds of things can help us as well. And then we have a number of questions that ask where and when the problem occurs. Does it only occur in your backyard, for example? Uh, Does it only happen when you're gone? Are there other kinds of behaviors that seem to be associated with it, like destructiveness or attempts to escape? All of these kinds of questions then help you to get at what's causing a problem. That, that's a great point because I know when we get the questions, my dog is barking, how can I get him to stop? And I think people really believe that there's a quick, simple, easy solution to barking. And as you just said, there, there isn't. Well, yeah, there, you know, there's some obvious kinds of things that people see, you know, a dog getting excited about, you know, the garbage truck going by or the mail delivery person or dogs barking in response to the other dogs that have set up a barking bout there in the neighborhood. But there can be some other kinds of causes there as well, and, and sometimes they're, um, they're a little bit difficult to sort through to really figure out what's going on. Right, right. Let's go back also to, because I like that you brought up the fact that there can be other 
types of vocalization that the dog is doing and what they mean. And you covered this in Chapter 3. And I, I thought this was really important for owners to understand because uh, a lot of times I think they misinterpret it. And you did define barking, but you also discussed howling. Can you just tell us a little bit about what howling means? Well, I think everybody's heard howling when it happens. You know, dogs, if there's a... Uh, sirens going off around the neighborhood, for example, or other dogs in the neighborhood start to howl. You get this this high pitched, you know, oh, and it goes on, you know, for several seconds at a time. Um, you know, that's howling. Yeah, is it related to stress at all? People do ask the question. You know, we're really not quite sure what function the howl serves. We see it in the ancestors of the dog, the wolf. Wolves howl, and they seem to do it as a way to kind of get other members of the pack that may be off at a distance to come and join them. So, so it's almost like a, uh, um, you know, a call home. Um, we also see it as uh, in apparently in kind of territorial disputes between wolf packs um, where they will set these howling matches against each other. Uh, but other than that, we're really not quite sure what, it, what function it serves for our, our domesticated dogs. Interesting. Um, you also uh, brought up yelping and screaming. Talk to us a little bit about that. Again, I think a yelp is a pretty common sort of vocalization that most people would understand. It's, it tends to be relatively short. It tends to be kind of a high-pitched sort of um, little sound that, that a dog may make if he, um, if he accidentally stepped on his toes, let's say, um, or if um, he uh, tripped over something, you know, he might yelp and give that short little burst. And, and you often see that when dogs are, um, you know, experiencing some pain or some sort of distress, um, they may yelp. Good. And how about screaming? The screaming is a really distinct sound, it, it, and, and most of us don't usually hear, hear dogs scream. It, it happens when they're in pain or when they're really, really distressed, really frightened about something. Um, then they might scream, and, and just as the name implies, it, it's uh, it's kind of a blood-curdling sound, and you you don't mistake it for anything else. As I say, it's pretty rare, though, for most of us to uh, come across a dog who's that distressed. But something that we do come across is whining and whimpering, and I know so many people have said, I've tried to correct him, to, I can't stand it, and he just continues to whine and whimper. Yeah, with the whining and whimpering, um, it, it oftentimes can happen in situations in which they're sort of mildly distressed, um, and sometimes it'll grade into uh, a bark or a howl. Um, sometimes they'll, they'll whine or whimper as a, um, as a way to get your attention. And I think that's the situation in which people find it most distressing is, is the dog standing next to you um, and, and, you know, it's 4 o'clock and it's the usual time that you take your dogs for a walk. That's the way it is in my house. And so I can count on my dogs to come and stand next to my chair and start staring at me and whining a little bit and whimpering to get my attention because they're ready to go. Right, right, exactly. A question came up It was really interesting on this particular topic do they know that they're whining and whimpering because they felt that when they corrected it, there was no reaction? Are there any studies on that? Whether the dog knows that he or she is whining or whimpering? Right. I think, I think they probably do know that, that they're self-aware of, of, of the sounds they're making. It may be that when people try to punish it and they think that they're not seeing any response to that, that maybe they're not doing the punishment correctly. Or the other thing is, is and, and maybe we'll talk about this a little later on, uh, there's certain kinds of vocalizations or certain kinds of 
situations where you really don't want to be punishing your dog because it oftentimes just makes it worse. And if the dog is whining or whimpering out of fear or distress and you start to punish them, then that can make that anxiety worse and may actually lead to even more whining and whimpering in that kind of situation. Great, great point, great point. All right, let's move on. Um, in Chapter 4, you talked about body language, and uh, I know I have always promoted you and Suzanne have a wonderful DVD called ACT, A-C-T, that I think is one of the best out there. I definitely, definitely promote it. But talk to us a little bit about, maybe you can help people understand when, it, when a dog is barking, um, particular behaviors or, or body language signs that they should look for. Dogs really reveal their emotions and their motivations through their body language. And if you can understand that, if you understand what that body language means, interpret it, then it goes a long way in terms of trying to figure out what's causing the barking or other kind of vocalizing that's causing a problem for you. For example, if you see that your dog seems to be afraid when he's barking, his ears go back, um, his tail goes down and is tucked, you, you see him crouch down in a, low, in a low kind of crouch or try to run away from whatever it is that, that he seems to be responding to, that should tell you, well, I think here may be some fear or anxiety here that may be motivating that behavior. And that would be a really different body posture than what you would see out of your dog if he was simply responded excitedly to the children that he's seeing outside the fence. Kids going to a school bus stop, and so your dog's running back and forth across the fence, and his ears are up, and he seems to be real friendly, and he's kind of bouncing along and barking at the same time to try to get the kid's attention. So you, you can see that there, you get really different kinds of suggestions of the cause by looking at the body language. Yeah, that's important. And in the book, you have little graphics on it as well, which which I find um, to be quite helpful and a little checklist for people so they can actually watch the dog as the dog is barking. I thought that was that's going to be really, really helpful for people when they when they take a look at the book and look at the dog as well. Thanks. Yeah, we wanted to try and make it as, as easy for people as possible to kind of interpret what they were seeing. Now, if, if the barking happens when, when you're not around, you know, when you're off at work, for example, and you can't actually see what the body postures are, then you may need to get some information in other ways. You may need you try to videotape your dog when he's gone or try to sneak back to the house and peek over the fence or into the house when he doesn't think you're around so that you can see what he or she is doing. Well, you may even want to ask a neighbor, you know, to poke over the fence and take a look at what the dog is doing, what he looks like when you're gone. Oh, that yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, that's that's so critical because obviously the neighbors can hear the dog barking, but without seeing the body language, we really don't know. Good point, good point. Um, you also have, which I throughout the book, which I really loved, um, flowcharts. Um, explain to the audience why flowcharts are so important and how they can help, uh, if you don't mind. What we tried to do is to really put together this series of questions for people to ask about their dog and the, and the barking problem, where they are, what they're doing, what they look like, what else is going on in the environment as well. And all the answers to those questions then are really necessary to try and figure out what the cause is. And, and to do that, we try to make it easy for people to put all that information into this little flowchart so that they can start at one point 
and just simply ask, well, what does the dog look like? And then from there, depending on what their answer is, they're then led through a series of other questions that gets at these other things, and finally they can get at a cause for the problem itself at the end. Fabulous, fabulous. Yeah, I think that's going to be so helpful to people because they really don't know. I mean, and it really, um, it's done so nicely that the flowcharts are very easy to follow, too. Um, It doesn't put them in a a state where they're completely perplexed, obviously. Well, good, yeah. That was really our goal, was really to try and make it as easy as possible for people to try and figure out themselves what they think is going on there. Great, great. Good. All right. We're going to just take a real short break to hear from our sponsors, so don't go away. And when we return, we'll talk to Dr. Daniel Estep. Okay, class, grab your tuna flakes, biscuits, and bones. Teacher's pet will be back in two shakes of a tail right after recess. Welcome to Pet Planet. Here's a copy of Pet Planet Magazine, Florida's most informative and fun pet resource magazine. It features heartwarming stories and informative articles from local and national pet experts. Excellent. Pet Planet Magazine offers Operation Planet Rescue, helping rescued pets find new homes. And it's available at 500 locations in South and Central Florida and 24-7 on the Internet at PetPlanetMagazine.com. If you're out and about with your pet, you may be featured in Paparazzi, Candid Pictures of You and Your Pet. For up-to-date pet-friendly events, activities, and pet-related services and products, Pet Planet Magazine is your final destination. I shall take this magazine home with me. Back to your home planet? No, to my condo in Boca. Pet Planet Magazine. Check them out at www.petplanetmagazine.com or 352-394-8578. It's out of this world. Ladies and gentlemen, Pet Life Radio proudly presents DSPN, the Dog Sports and Performance Network. Get ready to unleash the dog sports enthusiast in all of us. From speed drawing and mushing to racing, agility, and competition, this is the place to learn all about the dog sports and activities that you can do with your furry best friend and canine competitor. So get ready for game time. DSPN with your host, Lori Williams. Every week, on demand. Only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Okay, class, hang up your collars and leashes. Teacher's Pet is back in session. Now park yourselves on the floor. I said park, not bark. Okay, Teacher's Pet. Pay attention. There may be a quiz later. Welcome back to Teacher's Pet on Pet Life Radio. This is Pia Silvana, your host, and joining us is Dr. Daniel Estep, a certified applied animal behaviorist who has just written a fabulous book that I recommend to everyone along with his wife, Dr. Suzanne Hetz, and it's called Help, I'm Barking and I Can't Be Quiet. Such a fun name. I love it. (laughs) In the book, Dan, uh, you have a five-step positive proactive plan that's so clearly laid out. Um, I I, I love that you put the word positive in there. 
And most people want to immediately punish the behavior and end it. So you say that step one is to catch the dog in the act and help him do the right thing. Let's talk about this and then let's go over the other steps. So start off with number one, catching the dog in the act. And why is that so critical? Most of us, as you pointed out, when we've got a problem with our pets, the first thing we think about is how can I stop that problem? And to stop a behavior, as you well know, we have really limited tools. You can punish the the behavior. You can try to remove the dog from the situation. Um, But other than that, there's not a whole lot that you can do to try to stop the behavior. But if you turn it around and look at it a little differently so that you ask, what do I want my dog to do in this situation other than bark, then it opens up a whole bunch of other opportunities for you to try to change the behavior. Then you can begin to try to elicit the behavior that you do want in that situation and begin to reward it. And that's what step one is all about, is to try and catch your dog in the act of doing what you want him to do and then help him to do the right thing. Technically, we talk about using positive reinforcement in those situations to try to reward the appropriate behavior. But it's also setting up the proper kind of situation there so that you can get the right behavior as well. So if, if your dog is out in the backyard and he just happens to be snoozing on the porch as the kids are walking by outside and he's not up barking, you want to reward that behavior. And this is something that all of us do too little of, and that is, is to reward our dogs for doing the right things. Too often we only pay attention to them when they're doing something that we don't want them to do. And so this is really designed to help turn that around and get people to think in a different way about their dog and and the behavior they want. That's a great point. I think in defense of people, I think maybe they don't reward it because, A, they think that the dog knows he's doing the right thing, um, and they don't think about that the rewards can bring about a continuation of the good behavior. So they just take it for granted. Exactly. That's that's exactly right. And, And in fact, that's not true. And it's one of the things that we really need to help people understand better is is that if they do reward the behavior, if they do active things to try to encourage the behavior, it's going to only make it stronger and make it more likely to happen in the next situation that they come across. Right, right. Now, the second step is don't let bad habits develop. Uh, Give us an example of that. A lot of people think it's really cute when their puppies um, start barking at people or, or barking at the door. And when the dog is really young, they think, oh, this is such a cute behavior, you know, and everybody's laughing at it. And they're really allowing the dog then to practice barking in that situation. Well, as the dog gets older and the behavior becomes more entrenched as a habit, then it becomes a lot more of an annoyance and it also becomes a lot harder to change. So if you think from the very beginning about what you want your dog to do in these different situations and try to make it difficult for him to do the wrong thing by, let's say, calling your dog over with a treat and having him sit quietly next to you as your guests come through the door rather than standing there and barking and jumping up and down on them and all of that sort of thing that dogs are tempted to do, then it's going to make it a whole lot better. Yeah, I I know a common problem that we get in our classes um, or a question that comes up. My dog never barks to let me know that he wants to go out. I'm like, yay. (laughs) 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 To me, that's a good thing because that that can really develop into a huge problem, can't it? Sure. Again, you know, if you don't 
actively discourage it in some way. You let those habits develop. Sometimes they can then spread to other situations or become so intense that it really is creating a problem for you. Right, right. Number three, and you and Suzanne were really uh, the icebreakers of this and bringing this to most people's attention, and that's meet your dog's behavioral needs. Expand upon that. I think that's so important. Dogs have behavioral needs just as they have physical needs, physical needs for air and warmth and food and water. They also have needs to exercise and to stimulate their minds and to be around other animals or other people. They're highly social animals. And we see a lot of dogs that get left home alone during the day when their owners are at work, and there's really nothing for the dog to do. He's either sitting in the house or he's sitting out in the backyard. There's maybe one toy that's out there, if there's anything at all. And so then the dog will find ways to entertain himself if you don't give him things to do. So recognizing that they have those needs for mental stimulation, for exercise and for social contact, then you can begin to set up the environment so, again, you can try to create the kind of behavior you want in those situations. But if you just let your dog sit out in the backyard, bored all day, he'll find different things to occupy him, and you may not like what he does, like barking at the neighbor kids and the, and the uh, garbage truck and everything else that's going on that attracts his attention. And then which can lead to, obviously, other behavior problems on top of it. It sure can. Yeah. Four, use the takeaway method. What does that mean? There are times when it's okay and, and even appropriate to use some sort of punishment to try to stop behavior. And what we mean by the takeaway method is what the behaviorists call negative punishment. The idea that you take away from the dog something that he or she likes in a particular situation to try to discourage um, an inappropriate behavior. For example, if your dog is, young puppy is barking at the front door when people come, you could just simply quickly snatch him up and put him into the, into the hall closet for 30 seconds. And so you take him away from that situation where he's getting some reward for seeing those people and greeting them at the door. That's the takeaway method. It's, it's a lot like using a timeout that, that people may be familiar with, you know, with their kids. It's the same idea. You're taking away the opportunity to get the reward in that situation. And when you do that, you do it correctly, then that will decrease the behavior as easily as doing something um, aversive to the dog. Which I guess is number five when you say minimize discipline. Right. And what we mean by that is, is positive punishment, this idea that you do something that is unpleasant from the dog's point of view to him. You pair that with the inappropriate behavior. And if you, and if you follow the, the behavior immediately with that aversive consequence, then it's going to cause that behavior to go away. It's really the principle behind anti-bark collars that then give the dog a loud sound or an electrical stimulation when they bark, and so it discourages it. But you don't want to use any more of that kind of punishment than necessary to try to stop the behavior. And when you do use it, you want to be sure that you're using it correctly, that you're meeting all of the criteria that are really necessary to do punishment effectively, you know, catching them in the act, um, making sure that you catch them every single time that they do the inappropriate behavior for a while. And if you do that, then the dog will be discouraged from doing it and the behavior will go away. Good, good. And let's stick with, actually, you brought it up, so uh, I, I would like to expand upon that. You did in the book also discuss anti-bark devices and punishment. Um, 
give us your thoughts on that, when, when they might be appropriate and when not. People, uh, all of us, myself included, are always trying to look for a quick fix for a behavior problem. And the bottom line is, is that it's not always the case that, that we can use a quick fix to, to really solve behavior problems like that. Anti-bark collars definitely have their place in trying to deal with barking problems. And there's different kinds of them that are out on the market. There's ones that just simply give a little tone or a high-pitched squeal that the dog can hear but the owners can't um, that is to act as a punisher. Or it may release this little jet of spray of citronella oil or lemon oil under the dog's chin, which is a smell apparently the dogs really hate but doesn't seem to bother us very much. Or it gives them this electrical stimulation whenever they bark. Those kinds of things could be useful with certain kinds of problems. For example, if you've got excitement barking, like our dog Ashley, for example, she barks at just about anything that changes in our environment. A leaf blows off a tree, and she's got to bark about it. <laughs> um, you know, somebody slams a car door six blocks away, and she's got to bark about it. You know, she's not afraid. Um, she's not distressed. We know that she's perfectly healthy. It doesn't, it's not related to any sort of injury or illness or anything like that. It's just how she kind of expresses herself when something changes. Well, with her, we've used these anti-bark collars in the past, and they work very effectively uh, in terms of stopping her barking. And then we try to pair that with giving her something else to do in that situation that then she can be rewarded for. So we give her a, a stuffed Kong toy or um, one of the uh, premier pet products toys, the funny bone, things like that. They'll keep her busy in that situation. And that works the most effectively in terms of changing the behavior when you can pair the punishment then with the behavior that you want to try to get the animal to do in that situation and then reward them for that. Right. I like that you brought up the point that there's no anxiety involved or there's no fear involved because uh, I think that's where people go wrong. They want to end the behavior, but they're really not. They haven't come to really a diagnosis or of why the dog is barking. So they could be punishing a dog that is fearful. And what, what are the results of that if they, if they make that attempt? From our point of view, you don't ever want to punish uh, any sort of fear, like a fear of thunderstorms or even a fear of people or objects like fear of the garbage truck noise that, that, that it makes or, or separation anxiety, which is another fear-based problem. You don't want to be punishing aggression, uh, aggressive barking, because then you end up with a dog who's still aggressive, but now he doesn't bark, he doesn't warn people when he's going to go bite them. Or if they have some sort of medical problem or a compulsive problem, that's triggering the barking. All, in all of those situations, using punishment just makes the anxiety or the aggression or the compulsiveness worse. It doesn't stop the behavior. And so then you end up either with a worse problem than you had before or it creates other kinds of problems that happen to go along with it. So now your dog that's afraid of the, of the garbage truck that comes by on Tuesdays, he isn't barking because he's got the bark collar on. He's jumping the fence and running away because he's so terrified with everything that's going on with him now. 
Oh, great, great point. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up. That is really, really critical. One more question, if you don't mind, before we we end. The half hour goes so quickly. You did mention the difference in trainers and behaviorists, and you have a real nice outline on how to select the right one. Can you explain what that means and give a few tips so people know exactly what to look for, maybe some questions to ask and what they should be cautious about? We designed our book to really try and help people figure out what's causing their barking problem and to help them to try and resolve the simpler kinds of problems for themselves. But there are certain problems out there that really are beyond what I think most pet owners can do, things like aggression problems or things like separation anxiety. And so there, when we've identified those problems or had people identify them, then we want them to go get professional help where they really can get a good resolution to the problem without making it worse or creating other kinds of problems for themselves and the dog. And there are a variety of pet professionals out there that they can get that help from. I think perhaps the first thing that people ought to do whenever they have any sort of problem behavior with their dog is to seek out their veterinarian's advice. Because even though it may not look like it's a medical problem, sometimes there can be medical causes or medical uh, conditions that, that complicate the behavior problem. So going to their veterinarian first allows them to either treat or rule out those medical conditions. And then perhaps their veterinarian can give them um, a recommendation for a trainer or a behavior consultant in their area that can work with them. And anybody can hang up a shingle and call themselves an animal behaviorist. There's, it's not a protected um, title. So with all of these people out there offering these services, some are obviously better than others. And so asking about the trainer or the consultant's experience, how, much, how many years have they been working in this area and working with this kind of problem, um, where they got their training, uh, did they have any sort of formal training in this or did they just simply pick it out, out of reading a, a, the back of a magazine or just having their own dogs for a number of years? Do they have professional memberships? And and what this really indicates is their interest in in ongoing education and really trying to keep up with the new things that are coming out in science every day that can help them try to deal with their uh, pet's problems. You can sit in on a training class. If you're um, thinking about hiring a, a particular trainer, ask to sit in on one of their classes so that you can see what kind of techniques they use and what their um, uh, philosophy is, really, about working with behavior. And really not to uh, feel uh, uncomfortable about doing anything that the trainer or the consultant tells you to do with your dog that you don't feel good about. Um, If it doesn't seem right to you, then you have every right in the world to say, no, I don't think I want to do that. Let's look for some other options other than what you recommended. And good trainers and consultants will do that for you. They'll provide you with a range of options that you can use in these different situations to try to resolve the behavior problems. They're not going to tell you, oh, there's only one way, and if you don't do it this way, you're a bad person. That, that mm-hmm. simply doesn't happen. And, and so simply by being uh, intelligent consumers of the information that's out there and the, and the resources that are out there, I think people can get the kind of help that they really need to deal with these problems. Good, good information, Dan. Excellent. So, unfortunately, we are out of time, and I'd like truly like to thank you so much for joining us. Where can people purchase your book? 
Thanks a lot. I've really enjoyed being with you here today. Um, you can go on to our website, helpingfido.com, and you'll find the book there. Fabulous, fabulous. Well, we want to give Dan a thank you. And don't forget, next week we will be conducting our live training session. So come ready with your tug toy, a bag of treats, and, of course, your dog. A special thanks to our producers for making this show happen. And if you'd like a transcript of this show or any other shows on Pet Life Radio Network, please go to PetLifeRadio.com and click on Teacher's Pet. Also, if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future shows, please email me at Pia at PetLifeRadio.com. So, until next time, this is Pia signing off. Thank you, Dan. I really appreciate it. Thank you for your interest in Pet Life Radio. Take care. Bye-bye. School's in session on Pet Life Radio with Teacher's Pet. Learn how to communicate with your pet, train your pet, and see the world from your pet's point of view. You may even learn a few tricks yourself. Teacher's Pet, only on PetLifeRadio.com.